Hello and welcome back to the God-Led Mystics Podcast. I am your guide and host, Reverend Rose, Gnostic Priestess, Reiki Master, and Oracle. I am here today with a recording of a free master class I did a couple weeks ago with my beloved friend and colleague, Kai. This I thought this would be a really good follow-up to our first episode with Deborah. Um, because we go deeper into some of the uh, lies and um, fallacies that have been taught to us by uh, people wanting to stay in power within the church. Um, you'll notice that this uh, talking about this is a little bit nerve-wracking for me, so um, I can own that, and I'm happy to say that out loud because it definitely brought me into the crux of my own healing when it comes to speaking up. I have been really recognizing in the last 6 to 12 months the way that my persecution wounds have been activated and triggered and really how to move through them. So um, I'm always uh, blatantly obvious that um, I'm experiencing my own emotional reactions and I call it out uh, because I think it's important for us to own what we're really feeling inside rather than pretending that it doesn't exist. Um, I enjoyed this conversation a lot and um, for all of my master classes there is time to share at the end however because I knew I wanted to put this on the podcast uh, I actually stopped recording so that everyone could share freely without um, you know being put on here so uh, this this episode is a really good exploration of some of the lies and illuminations and of course, I will have a lot of the uh, references and um, places to begin self-discovery when it comes to this work in the show notes. And I also want to let you know that at the beginning, we do a little bit of a centering practice. Uh, if you're available to breathe with us and really ground into the space, um, that's wonderful. And then at the end, we have a short meditation about 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, and so, of course, um, I really try to hold you in a sacred space so that any wounds, any triggers, any um, parts of yourself that are ready to be illuminated for healing and transformation are held in deep love and deep reverence. So I hope you enjoy today's episode and I hope that you find a new relationship to God and the Bible and the Gnostic texts and scriptures that have been waiting for you. I also hope that you uh, really discover your own personal truth around God within this episode. And I really look forward to hearing from you and tuning in to how this episode really landed within your body. Without further ado, we shall begin. So welcome everyone. Um, I would like to start this space. Excuse me, there's like movement in my gut now. <laughs> what a wonderful way to start this recording. <laughs> I want to really open this space. Um, 
just by grounding down and grounding into the space because a lot of the topics that we're going to move through today can be heady they can also be emotional and they can you know really fire up certain um just certain triggers or wounds and I really want to invite us to come into this space in sacredness and in deep protection. So if you're available to close your eyes I invite you to do so otherwise you can just put your hand on your heart and you can exhale anything that is on your heart on your mind on your spirit today. And I wanna invite you to just take a big deep breath in, expanding your belly, expanding your diaphragm, expanding your lungs, really inviting you to take the biggest breath you might have taken all day and exhaling through your mouth. Maybe you want to sigh, make a sound, really just wanna invite you to let it go. I wanna invite you to come into your body now, using your breath to come into your root, sending a light or a grounding cord down into the earth, down into the womb, down into the core. Really bringing yourself into this space, really bringing yourself into your body into this relationship that you have with being on this planet. And I wanna invite you just to come into your body and notice if there's any sensations that are ready to be witnessed today. Noticing if there's any tension, any stagnancy, maybe anything in your body that feels wiggly or needs some movement. Just really using your breath as an observer of what is available for you today. Hmm. And whenever you're ready, I want you to come into your emotional body. Noticing if there's any prominent emotion that is requesting your attention today. Mm -hmm. 
bringing yourself into awareness of if there is a story that surrounds this emotion. Maybe you feel angry and it's because your partner is stupid today. I don't know. Whatever it is, your story is not wrong. <laughs> your story is just a story. It's an illumination. But by coming into awareness of our stories, we can shift them. Oh, actually, my partner is not stupid. So just noticing now what stories are surrounding you in this moment. And I really just want you to meet your stories so that you can know what this internal dialogue is telling you. And whenever you feel ready to just let it go, you can take another breath and come into your spirit body. Noticing if there's anything from your divine presence that wishes to share itself with you, make itself known. And whenever you feel ready, I want you just to come back into your heart. Really opening your heart. Opening this space. I want to invite you to just notice your heart. And I want to invite you to really just extend your heart opening and your heart light into your field. Connecting this heart light now into all that is. And allowing yourself just to move into the divinity of all things that exist around you. And whenever you're ready, you can return to this space. Return to my voice. Return to your physical body. Your room. If you're sitting outside. Wherever you are. Okay. How's everyone feeling? Just let me know in the comments. Okay, my loves. Oh, dance is great. I'm so glad. This topic for me is um 
terrifying. <laughs> Elsa's first thought, well, that got deep real fast. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> it's about to get even deeper, girl. <laughs> So this topic for me is, um, I'm so glad, is uh, a little terrifying. And mostly because I've gone about all of this in the wrong way. Um, and I can say that honestly, because many of you know that I piss Christian Twitter off very often about talking about Mary Magdalene and all this stuff. And I realized one day that I was just doing it all wrong. <laughs> Like, you can't talk to people that are, like, deep in this, you know, matrix system unless they have a little hole and an opening that's willing, you know, to see and illuminate what exists, you know, in a deeper way. I hope that makes sense. Um, so my heart's, like, beating. It's like, do 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 Anyway, <laughs> I, um, I have to out myself and say this because it's true. Uh, what... What we're going to dive into today really challenges some of the authorities that exist on this planet when it comes to, you know, relating to who God is and telling, you know, how God is expressed. Um, and it really rubs up against this whole egregore that we have around um, the church, basically. So... I myself am going to focus a lot on um, what we might know as Catholicism, Christianity, um, really like the Abrahamic traditions. Uh, Judaism is involved in there and um, so is Islam, but I'm not as well versed because of course, you know, the, the Quran, or am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, the Quran is its own holy book with its own holy, holy, I want to say stuff. I know that's not like probably politically correct, but um, it, it's its own book in its own right, obviously. And I've read a little bit of the Quran, um, which is a tale for another day, but I don't want to digress on that. So I'm going to focus on what we know as, you know, the church uh, today because many of us are probably not, you know, grown up in Buddhism or Hinduism or any of those sects. So um, what I'm gonna share today is both fact and fiction. Fact in that there are historical facts we will talk about in fiction in my interpretation of things that have happened. I want to also remind you that there is no authority in your relationship to God. So I am no authority to your relationship to God. And what I'm sharing with you today is bits and pieces of what I have come to know and understand. And I hope that by passing this baton, you go and know and understand your own wisdom and insight and inspiration. So please just think of this conversation as a spark that's going to take you on a deep wildfire into magical insight, wisdom, and information. Okay.
So I want to start first with my story because it's important to share how I've come to a lot of this information. So I was put into a Christian school when I was about three years old. I was like a baby genius. My dad like forced them to take me early because he thought that I was really smart and capable of doing this. So it's hilarious. I only laugh because like today, RJ talks about biology and I'm like, you're, you make no sense to me. And I feel like actually an idiot. So the, I mean, I might be degrading myself here, but it's just hilarious. Cause he like talks about cell biology and I'm like, my ears are bleeding and my skin's crawling. I have no idea what you're saying. And I'm officially an idiot at this point. <laughs> so ugh. College was never for me. I failed biology three times. I don't know how much of a genius I really was. Okay, anyway. Um, so I was put into this Christian school around three years old. And um, of course, I read really fast. And, you know, I became um, a, a really good student. And I stayed in this Christian school from three to 12-ish. So, of course, I was raised in the Christian paradigm in school, Monday through Friday. My parents were not particularly religious by any means, um, but they humored me in praying over our food and going to church some Sundays and um, <laughs> praying at night with me. I was like, I always made my parents pray with me. I'd be like, we have to bless our food, mom and dad. And we need to, you know, pray before we go to bed. And I need you to go to church with me. I was like obsessed with God when I was little. Um, and in many ways, I have great gratitude for the school that I was raised in. Because my school specifically was nothing like... Um, some of the horror stories when it comes to Catholic school. Um, of course, I was a Christian school, um, but they were never violent. They were never mean to me. And I was a hellion as a little girl. Like I would cut girls' hairs off and I flooded the girls' bathroom. And yeah, I, um, I tortured boys. That's what I did. And they never had anything bad to say to me that I can ever remember. My principal, same principal through the whole time, was always just like, one day you'll get it. And we're just going to hold you in love until you do. And I was like, okay, cool. Going to go flood the girls' bathroom now. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I talk about this. And... You know, this school was very lenient in their tolerance and in their love, which I actually think is the true, like, Christian lifestyle. Like, if, if you were to live a Christian mystic lifestyle, it would include leniency and love and compassion and da-da-da-da-da. So, of course, we were taught and trained in the Bible, you know, from Old Testament to New Testament. And, you know, they love the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, but then they also explain the wisdom of Christ who says that, you know, you're born in God's image. So as a child, I spent a lot of time reading the Bible. I was obsessed with Enoch and uh, Methuselah and 
I really actually just wanted to live to be 900 years old. Let me tell you all the truth. I was like, I have to understand their secrets to longevity. I want to live to be over 200 years old. Ah, uh, so I was, you know, really obsessed with the mythics, the mythic stories. And I've read the Bible front to back multiple times since I was a little girl. And um, when I was 12, I ended up going into public school just for whatever reason. And this is really where I met my maker, we'll say. So my maker and I met when I was confronted with this belief that I was a lesbian. Um, I started to date girls, of course, secretly, could never tell my parents. And I lost my virginity to a girl. And I remember the night that I lost my virginity, I was like 13-ish maybe. I remember laying in bed and thinking about how, you know, they had taught us that being gay is wrong. And, you know, if you're gay, you're not gonna be loved by God or whatever, I don't know, insert belief here. And then I just heard Yeshua say, but you're made in God's image. And I was like, dude's right. I was made in God's image. Therefore, I'm not wrong. The church is. And I left my belief system. I know maybe a lot of people wouldn't have that thought. But it was in that moment where I was like, dude, if the Christ says that we're made in God's image, then there is nothing wrong with me being a lesbian. Like, it's just that simple. And therefore, I believe that the church is wrong and I'm going to find God in my way. So I journeyed very, very deeply. Um, I began studying Buddhism and I became a Buddhist, basically. Um, and I kind of put it in quotes because who is a Buddhist at 14? I don't know. Um, I still like would consider myself to have a really deep relationship to Buddhism, but what I actually discovered as an adult is that the Buddhism that they kind of give out is not like what I would consider to be true Buddhism, because there's a lot of mystical teachings that are behind the scenes. So I began a journey and um, I wandered through layers and layers and religions and spiritualities. Oh my goodness, forgot to tell you that I practiced Wicca for a while. I did like a self-anointing ceremony with red wine that I had to steal from my parents, which like, how do you explain? I'm not drinking the red wine. I'm bathing in it, mom and dad. <laughs> really crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> I like didn't at the time, I didn't have the longevity for spells. Like I just was too much. So I gave up Wicca because I realized that it was going to take me a lot more discipline than I was willing to put into it as like a 14 year old. <laughs> I was like performing seances in my parents' bedroom, probably a terrible idea, but um, not sure if that was before or after I saw the eyes in my parents' window, but <laughs> who knows at this point. Um, I just went on a journey. And when I was 20, I met my first mentor. Her name is Shannon, and she's uh, an intuitive artist. She one day woke up and she could speak four different languages that she's never studied. 
and uh, she began to paint. She never taught herself how to paint. She was just all of a sudden was able to start painting and she always felt like God was calling her back um, and was giving her her soul gifts. And so this, she never like said that much in the beginning of our relationship. But when I went to her house for tea, I saw a book on her uh, counter that said, you know, the, the medium next door. And I was like, I knew this woman was you know, a medium, a psychic medium, basically, and that she was this magical human being. And she looked at me and she said, you know, it's time for you to return to God. And I was like, hmm, okay, not really sure what that means, but great. <laughs> and she gave me a book. I think it's called 50 Life Lessons from God or something like that. I don't know. I wish I could find it, but I could let someone borrow it. And You know, the tale of borrowed books. I never return. Um, <clears throat> it was a wonderful book about just, you know, how we can actually relate to God on a, on a real scale. And they were more or less just personal essays from people that had experienced cancer, from people that, you know, had lost their children, from people that had, you know, lucky windfalls or just, just everyday humans in their life that are experiencing um, what it means to have God lead them. And so uh, it was in that book that I was like, hmm, okay, this is very interesting. And then I stumbled upon Sylvia Brown's books, which I think are called Journey Through the Soul. Please don't call me on that. It's a three three part series. It's a trilogy. And for those of you who don't know Sylvia Brown, um, she's a psychic medium. And for those of you, or she was, she's passed now. Um, and for those of you who do know Sylvia Brown, I don't know if you know, but she actually started a Gnostic temple um, in San Jose, California, or around that area. And it was in those books that she began to break down the Gnostic principles of Mother, Father, God, and how to begin building relationships with Mother, Father, God, and all of that stuff. And so I was reading this book on a plane when I was like, I don't know, 21, maybe. And... Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to ask God if you're basically real. So in Chicago, in Chicago O'Hare, almost every airport has, um, has a chapel in it that has like pretty much the five major religions, sacred items there so that anyone can go and feel comfortable. I remember walking in there and being like, okay, God, if you're real, because there was, um, there was, um, a prayer mat which buddhists use so do muslims but muslims i know you have to sit a certain way in order to pray and so i was like okay god please don't send me any muslims while i'm in here <laughs> because i don't want to desecrate their sacred prayer mat and um <laughs> in god's sacred humor who do i look up to as the door opens and i'm in the middle of prayer a muslim woman <laughs> I was like, okay, God's real. And also I can't say, please do not do this because God will just laugh at me. So I took another step and I asked God, mother God specifically, to send me roses. I said, okay, mom, if you want to tell me you're real, please send me roses. And the, the idea from Sylvia Brown is that you ask, you send out this request and you let it be. So you don't say, please send me roses in 10 days you know but that you have a very 
blank request and then let it come to you. And of course I was on a trip and when I got home, the guy I was dating at the time picked me up with roses <laughs> and he'd never done that before. So again, I found God calling me back. So it was actually Sylvia Brown and my first mentor that brought me back into the awareness of God. And I had to begin deconstructing this relationship that I held to God based on what was taught to me by my Christian school, right? And reading the Bible over and over. So this is my story. And this is kind of like the beginning of where we not are, but kind of the beginning of my quest. So for those of you who don't know my background, I am trained in the Gnostic arts. I am a priestess of the Rose. Um, I was initiated into the Isis Sophia lineage, and um, I've also been initiated into Shivaism, so I'm also there as well. It's kind of like <laughs> part of all of it, but, um, and of course, I am a devotee of Sekhmet. So my relationship to God is related to this Kemetic Gnostic lineage and Kemetic being ancient Egyptian. So really my relationship to God comes from this Egyptian Gnostic lineage. And actually the mystics of Egypt were the original Gnostics and also the original, what we might know now as Christians. So it's actually quite simply put that I'm just a Gnostic. <laughs> <laughs> but of course to the church gnosticism is is heretical so i want to tell you my story so that you can understand of course how i got here so now we'll go into some facts <laughs> but first i'm gonna need water <laughs> and i'm also sweating <laughs> Okay, so where does the Bible come from? That's kind of the first question that I'm going to cover here. So first and foremost, before the Council of Nicaea came together, Christians were simply people that chose the sacred scriptures on their own accord. Um, of course, Judaism uh, is its own thing, right? And before Christianity, it, there was Judaism. Um, and Judaism is basically comprised of what we call the Old Testament, but to them is the only testament, of course, to this day. And there are there have been several layers to this truth, which is that there have been, you know, rabbis who taught mystical Judaism, which we can see through uh, the Essenes and people of that nature. And then there have been, there has been the religious paradigm. I can't think of what they're called right now. Um, there have been people that enforced Jewish law, which is, of course, part of following the Ten Commandments and, you know, following the Bible to its fullest degree. So with Christ, or with the coming of the Messiah, Yeshua, um, there began new scriptures to be written. 
these are the facts. And after the Christ passed, after the resurrection, or the, you know, death and ascension of Christ, came the New Testament with lots of written uh, scripture. But what is not added into the New Testament are basically the text from the Nag Hammadi and the Apocrypha, which include the Gospels of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, I'm trying to think of the other names. I think Thomas is in there. Uh, the Gospel of Peace, etc. So before the Council of Nicaea, there was no there was no real structure to what Christianity was. It was basically like if you liked the the Gospel of Thomas, that was what you followed and lived by. Well, that's obviously a problem <laughs> if you want people to be under one religious order, right? So the Council of Nicaea was basically in charge of deciding which scriptures would become what we know as the Bible. So the Bible is basically a compilation of what these, um, these basically what we might know as like an emperor and popes or, you know, these like religious um, elders. Well, I guess we can call them that. Basically, it was them, you know, that sat down and decided, well, this is what we're going to put in the Bible, and then this is what we're going to hide. So they more or less blasphemized the Nag Hammadi texts, the texts of the Apocrypha, um, and outlawed it more or less. So, oh my God, my throat was like... <laughs> Feel like I can't breathe like I might have been murdered another lifetime for talking about this but <laughs> sorry Kai did you want to say something <laughs> oh thank you guy so <laughs> that was it just wanted to say you're doing great <laughs> thank you guy so ultimately the Nicene council determined what was in the bible and what wasn't and this basically created a mass crusade for what was allowed and what was not allowed. You know, that's how Gnosticism became heresy. Because Gnostics don't actually live by any certain Bible, I mean, or any certain verse, if you will, not verse, book. Blah. Um, Gnostics, of course, we have the Pista Sophia as well, which are the mystical teachings of Mary Magdalene and Christ and Gnostics, most Gnostics, I would say, I can't speak for all of them, believe that Christ and Mary Magdalene or Yeshua and Mary Magdalene, of course, copulated and had children. That can't be had in the, in the Bible. There's no way. So here's where my fiction comes into play. I don't actually believe some of the things that were written in the Bible were actually from anyone that followed Christ. And I'm saying some, because there are some books in the New Testament that you read and you're like, this feels weird. 
But then there are other books that you're like, oh my goodness, yes, I, I feel that in my soul. So I personally believe that there are books in the Bible that have been put in there to create different orders for us to follow. Now, I'm sweaty and hot. I just have to say it out loud because I like gotta tell you the reality of this. There is a whole egregore that exists around this church. And we have to remember that the Bible has been translated thousands of times. And the Bible has passed through several different languages. The original languages, which might look along the lines of Hebrew, Coptic, and Aramaic, typically have more than one translation for each word that is used in those languages. So by that, there, are, there has to be at least three or four translations that can be had from the Bible. In just in general, there can be several different emanations of what is true from the Bible based on who's translating it, right? And we see that a lot with like the Tao Te Ching. So, you know, there is this belief that if you translate a Bible or if you translate any language, it's based on your own consciousness because your own consciousness is going to have a relationship to the words in its own right. So um, with that being said, you know, the Bible itself has been translated through several different people and through several different means of control, like the King James Bible, probably the worst. <laughs> I'll say that, but <laughs> ah, I won't get you started on that. The other fact and also fiction of this story is that we have to remember that each part of the Bible was written under a different age. So the New or the Old Testament was written under the age of Aries. There's a pretty good indication that the Bible itself is not a manuscript, but a blueprint for something larger than we can understand. And of course, many people say that it's related to astrology or it's related to awakening your chakras or whatever. I don't, I don't really know everything, so there's that. But what I do know is that if we look at the age of Aries, the Old Testament seems very related to the age of Aries, right? Because there's a lot of, there's a, it's a war God. This is a God who's pillaging and he says, you know, don't look to the golden calf. Who's the golden calf? Taurus, Hathor. And then we have the age of Pisces that is written by a loving, compassionate, kind God, right? So there's this fact and fiction story that the Bible could actually be relating to the consciousness that is really overarching our planet at that time. Whew. Saying this out loud terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to keep speaking it out because I can feel it in my gut. I can feel like the stuff inside of me. So let's move on to the next piece, which is the churches. Churches are all built on ley lines, very specifically, right? And the capital of the Vatican itself is a complete portal of being. Oh my God. 
And all these churches that are surrounding Europe, very specifically, are related to the ley lines and sacred geometries. So if you took a map and you put them, you know, put the churches out on a map, you would begin to see the sacred geometries that exist. And now the Knights Templar did this with their towers. We know that because of course you can see the way that their towers are built in triangles. So their towers would have, you know, created uh, communication on the grid. And of course the Knights Templar were hunted down and villainized um, by the church. We'll just say it. Um, I feel like I've said 5,000 ums in this thing and I'm really sorry, but it's just all the stuff that's like in here. <laughs> um, it terrifies me to talk about this only because I, I'm, you know, Gnostic heretic anyway. So who could take me seriously? I'm just kidding. That's what Christian Twitter has to say about me. I'm new age. Actually, I'm not. But okay. So, <laughs> um, you know, these churches are all built on ley lines. So what does that mean? That what is being channeled through this religion is going into the earth grid, right? Because there's a grid system that exists on this planet. <sighs> Many things that the churches have done have been trauma-based. You know, I mean, look at how they still send missionaries out uh, to try to convert people to Christianity in Africa, we'll say, because that's an easy one for me. I can think about it quite easily. Um, but let's not just think about that. Let's think about the Crusades and think about uh, just all the things that the church has done, quote unquote, in the name of God, which God would never want anyone to pillage and rape and steal and force into nature. Excuse me. So I want to go back to this idea that there is an egregore around the relationship in the church. And I don't know if any of you know what an egregore is, but I can, I'll just say that it's basically like a magical being that exists. And we see egregores very specifically in what might be called chaos magic. And I'll admit to you that I am part of a <clears throat> magical egregore called the 40 servants and this egregore is basically like sigils and <clears throat> um uh i don't like the word entities because it sounds malevolent but they're not malevolent it's basically like um frequencies or archetypes of of beings that are utilized in this system right so every person that works with this system feeds this system that's kind of what I see happen very specifically in the church. That's why I don't use the name Jesus. <laughs> so, um, I don't use the name Jesus because, first of all, there's no J in the Aramaic language. His name is Yeshua. And also because I believe that the church has created an egregore around who Jesus is. Oh my God, my ears are hot. <laughs> I'm just going to detail everything that I'm feeling as I say this. So what does this really mean for us then? Well, firstly, 
I don't know if anyone knows the story of Jesus and the tax man. I'm using his name kind of ironically in the story, but um, I went to a church one time. <laughs> My son's looking at me through this glass. Um, I went to a church one time to try to find a church that I could relate to and worship in. And the pastor told the story of Jesus and the, the tax man. And of course the story, right, is that the tax man is a basically a total thief and a an asshole, more or less. And he ter terrorizes everyone in the town. And, uh, you know, they, Jesus says his name, right, calls to him and tells him that he wants to have dinner with him. And uh, the pastor goes, how, well, how, how did Jesus know his name? And the children were like, I don't know. And the, and the pastor was like, well, because Jesus knows everything. And I was like, and knows his name no one wants to see paul down the road if he's gonna take all your money for your fucking taxes it was in that moment i was like this is this how they indoctrinate children like because i wasn't like i don't remember that since i was so little right but in that moment i was like oh my god these are what pastors are telling children you know that Jesus was all-knowing and omnipotent in his body. And maybe that's true. I don't know. I was never Jesus, I guess. But um, maybe also the fact that everyone knows this dude's name and they all hate him. Hi, my son. <laughs> so <clears throat> it was in that moment that I was like, oh my God, who is this Jesus dude? There's just so thing about his name that really like irritates me and I I really think it's this egregore that's kind of existing around him because they've put him on this pedestal rather than giving you the mystical teachings of Christ so the there is an actual mystical nature to who Yeshua was and it's very plainly stated that he was a high level priest he was a high level priest of Melchizedek actually um, and Melchizedek comes up in the First Testament, the Old Testament. I don't even know if I like that name either. The Old Testament. I don't know. Now you're just hearing all my qualms. <laughs> so Melchizedek comes in to the, the First Testament. And he's considered to be like the priest of all priests. So it's from my understanding that Yeshua was a priest of Melchizedek. And Yeshua served the lineage that was priest of all priests. So here's another funny thing about Yeshua that I don't think the church likes to talk about, which is the fact that they, they claim to be that he was this destitute, like, minister wandering around the deserts. But he comes from the king of, he comes from King David. He's a literal royal lineage. Like, I mean, of course, kings can become bankrupt, right? But his whole essence is of royalty. So it is under my belief and study with the Gnostic texts that Yeshua was actually very well off and was very well trained in mystical arts before he became what we might know him as the Christ. And everyone prepared for his coming because they knew. Mother Mary prepared for his coming because she knew. Of course, they say, you know, Gabriel told her that she would give birth to this child. And yes, that's probably very true. But it was also probably very true that her lineage had been preparing. It's so funny. This is just kind of my little fiction. 
But I think that Dune is a really good representation of the Christ story. That might sound really crazy. But um, if you ever watch the way that Jessica like prepares herself for this coming of the child and then her child becomes the Messiah, right? And she's like secretly training him behind everyone's back. Not that Yeshua was secretly trained. He was very outright trained. But still, it reminds me a lot of the the, the Yeshua story. And I think that from a, a fictional standpoint, the movie Dune would be a really wonderful way to look at who Christ really is. <laughs> oh, Liz, you thought that too? <laughs> I watched that movie. I think the second time I watched it, I was like, is this the Christ story? <laughs> like the Gnostic Christ story? Okay, so um, I guess I could go like hours on this topic, but the whole point is, is that, you know, the Bible has created an egregore around who Jesus is and has hidden the actual mystical teachings of Christ, which is that Christ is teaching you how to access your divine presence. So the very, the very separation of Christ's actual teachings is to keep us enslaved into this system and the book that they have. That might sound really harsh or confronting, but that is what I've come to believe to be true about this book. So of course, right, um, like in Ephesians, I believe, it talks about, you know, how women are not allowed to minister or to be a pastor or, you know, should only minister unto other women and it's just not true. None of it's true. The actual teachings of, of Yeshua, which we discover in the Pistis Sophia, and when we discover in uh, the Gospel of Thomas, which is basically the Gospel of the Twin, more or less, um, and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, we realize that Mary Magdalene was actually given authority over Christ's teachings. So the... The destruction of Mary Magdalene was obviously um, done intentionally with the desire to kill the feminine spirit. Because really, um, not that there weren't men around Christ or Yeshua, but there were a lot of women that actually held and I don't want to say worshipped because that's not the right word. They... studied, mentored, uh, became disciples of Yeshua. And it was really like the women that I feel that Yeshua liberated and sought to liberate with these teachings. Because of course, many women of that time were subject to their husbands or to their fathers or to the patriarchs in the family. Um, now I haven't worked with, I think her name is Sarah, her, her, her Instagram handle is Temple of Divine Radiance. Anyway, she is, um, she teaches the mystical Jewish tradition. And she talks a lot about how, you know, the women have been written out of the Bible, or they've been kind of cast to the side, more or less. But that women were actually never intended to be written out of the Bible, or out of the picture, if you will, because the women were the mystical holders of this teaching. So you'll notice that every patriarch usually has a matriarch with them. Um, and I highly recommend if you're interested in learning, you know, Jewish mysticism, 
she's a wonderful person to be in the field of. Um, but she talks a lot. She's actually writing a book called, uh, is it Shadonai? I think it's called. It's basically about the female um, female god of the Old Testament and the like the revival of her. Anyway, the point is, is that, you know, the church has very specifically pushed women out of this and kept men in so that they can keep this control paradigm that they have. Now, how then do we heal our religious wounds? Well, first of all, we have to know them. And I actually confronted a huge religious wound I didn't know I had until I was pregnant. And that was that I was an unwed woman. <laughs> I literally bawled for months, like months of my pregnancy. I was like, I'm not married. I'm a horrible person. I'm having a bastard for a child. <laughs> and I laugh. But I actually wrote my dad a letter, like, because I was so distraught about it. Um, I write letters when I get really upset. So I wrote my dad a letter about how horrible I felt that I was an unwed woman and all this stuff. And I don't think my dad's ever said that to me ever in my life. But I still carried this wound of like, you know, having a bastard. It's so horrible to say that out loud. But um, I had to do, I literally had to do a hypnotherapy session on it because it was so bad. Like I just could barely function. Many of you might have known me while I was pregnant. You're like, that's not what you consider barely functioning? Yes, bitches, I could barely function at that time. <laughs> and still somehow run a business and do all the things. Anyway, that was a deep religious wound I carried in my soul. And I had to do like a lot of deconditioning and deprogramming. And there's no one size fits all for this work, but knowing what our beliefs are around our religious wounds begins to illuminate where we are holding some of these religious teachings within our bodies. So a lot of them, for us, I feel have to do with, you know, our sexuality, who we are, um, what we believe in. There's a lot of teachings of hell right? Or be this fear of going to hell. Why would God ever damn you? <laughs> like that teaching makes no, no sense to me. Jordan Maxwell, whom I love, total, I don't want to say not case, but he teaches a lot about the cabal and blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> Jordan Maxwell was raised in a, in a Catholic setting and he shared the story in one of his lectures. And he basically, you know, he was like the loud kid that wasn't allowed to ask questions because his questions were crazy and they just did stuff to like everyone. The nun, of course, was like, Jordan, you're not allowed. Um, you're not allowed to ask questions. And he was like, okay, got it. And then when this pastor came, he raised his hand, of course. And the nun was already giving him the side eye. And he, he asked the pastor, he said, so if I have a flamethrower, can I hurt a spirit? And the pastor was like, no. Or I think it was a priest. The priest was like, no, of course you can't. That doesn't make any sense. And he goes, well, then how will I burn in hell? And the priest just stared at him. I don't remember the answer, but I, that story was like, I fucking love that kid. 
Like, it's such a good question to think about. Yeah. And then you, maybe you could think like, I don't know, maybe there's metaphorical fires or spiritual fires. I don't know. But then I like to think of the fact that hell is actually a Nordic goddess, right? So hell is um, an Iceland god. I should say an icy goddess. Her realm is of all ice. So it's not of fire it's of ice and what i have seen happen with the christian church or oh god i shouldn't say the christian church the church specifically when it dominates pillages and takes over it inverts the knowledge that it has dominated and creates it as part of its like metaphor so hell literally h-e-l was a nordic goddess ice goddess turned into fiery realms of death which literally makes no sense when we think about, you know, what God does for us, which is this ever loving light and presence. Why would God ever damn its beloved child to a realm of eternal torture? Like, I maybe that doesn't sound like a, a like, I don't know, maybe that's a question that many people might ask themselves or might have never asked themselves, but I, I, I implore you that question. Why would God ever make you suffer for eternal wrath? Some of you might say, well, you know, maybe I murdered billions of people. Okay. But if the Christ taught, right? Like if Yeshua very specifically taught that your spirit was your own, there was no one that could own your spirit, and that your flesh was going to die anyway. Why would there still be this emphasis of physical torture for the rest of your life? And now, um, here's a good time to just implore you to read the book, you know, Conversations with God. There's like six of them. And, uh, of course... Lots of people might say, channeled material isn't God material. Well, what the fuck is the Bible then? Like, if that's not channeled material, I don't know. Like, does that make sense? They're like, okay, you can read this channeled material, but you can't read this channeled material. Hypocrisy. And I feel like I'm being very basic. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. I feel like I'm being basic, but maybe they're just like questions that you haven't thought of or you haven't, you know, like considered. Um, in all of this work. So <sighs> healing the God wound or the religion wound, right? How do we really come into this? Well, obviously, as I stated before, we must recognize that it exists. We must recognize that, you know, we've allowed ourselves to be indoctrinated by this belief system. And I say the word allow because it is a choice to keep continuing and perpetrating these same wounds against you after you've left. So lots of my teachers have been people that have left the church and come into God in their own way. And many of them are doing lots of work in their hearts around this Abrahamic wound that really exists. And we, I want to be very specific here about it being Abraham's God because it was really Abraham who set the foundation for all of this stuff, even though it wasn't really Abraham that meant to create trauma within this space. 
So I'm very specific about Abrahamic God because, of course, that stems into, you know, Judaism, Catholicism, Christianity, uh, and Islam as well. Yeah. And that's so fascinating to me because, you know, um, who are the children? Uh, oh, God, now all of a sudden I think I can't even think of his name. Ishmael and... Um, Ishmael was like the original patriarch of uh, Islam. I can't, what, I can't think of his brother's name. It'll come to me one of these days. But <clears throat> the whole point of this is that we have to really come into this space of recognizing that a lot of what they have given us has been based on what they want us to believe. So if you want to actually heal your relationship to God, I implore you to go on, I think it's orthnosis.org or .com. I'll, I can send it in the follow-up email. And actually read the hidden texts. I don't know why I laughed like that. But um, also RJ's running back and forth with my tiny little human, so it's kind of funny too. Um, there are mystical teachings around Judaism, which is what we know as the Kabbalah, right? And then there are the mystical teachings around Christianity, which are the true teachings of Christianity, which one of the best people that has preserved that knowledge is um, Dr. Jerry Allen Johnson. He has, I think, three volumes of Christian mysticism. Wonderful book. Wonderful teachings. Of course, he goes into the Elohim and, you know, all, like the Jew, Jew, uh, Jewish roots of Christianity. Um, I implore you to really look into the similarities between comedic uh, lore, right? Isis, Mary, they both have um, uh conceptions like spiritual conceptions they both give birth to a child without a man as said um and the, we see these like overlays of beliefs right so a lot of these stories are just retold through the mythos of different religious uh paradigms so i'm deeply interconnected with the ancient egyptian um, pantheon or the Neturu as we might call them which is all just relating back into the worship of nature <sighs> I don't know why I have to sigh like that but um, I, I think because I was thinking a lot about how you know a lot of people say okay like here's something that I see which is kind of crazy to me that like affirmations are, are evil or working with crystals are evil. I see that a lot in the Christian community, which actually makes no sense because like, if you read Psalms, they're all like spells. Psalms is like a book of spells more than anything else. And by you, what are you doing when you're praying, when you're chanting, when, you, when you're singing to God, other than incanting, invoking, affirming, right? So we need to become aware for those of us that are in the mystical arts, where our belief systems are telling us it's evil because I've had that happen. I've had, um, I've had people come into my Reiki classes when I've taught in person um, who like I had a woman come to me and she was like, 
she was like, my husband's a Christian. Is he going to be okay with me doing Reiki? And I was like, probably not. But um, also at the same time, my, my question is, who do you think Christ was other than the greatest Reiki healer to ever exist? He put his hands on you and boom, miracle. I've seen that with my own Reiki master. But you try to tell this to people and the, the church tells you, right, that, oh, honey, Jesus was special. You are a lowly peasant. Come on. You're like, okay, fuck me. I remember, like, again, laying in that bed when I lost my virginity, thinking, like, his only begotten son? That's fucking rude. If they tell me that I'm the child of God, like, what am I, the stepchild? <laughs> like, Christ is, like, just the child and I'm the stepchild? I was like, none of this makes sense. They literally contradict themselves all the time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is my, like, plore with um, with these teachings. And, I mean, I probably contradict myself all the time. But I'm not claiming to be better than anyone else because I've read the, the Bible 27 times. <laughs> Sorry. Am I just being mean now? <laughs> Maybe I should turn it down. <laughs> oh, okay. So we have to know, you know, really where our wounds lie and dig into, you know, what we might have experienced because many of us might have actually been, you know, hunted down for heresy or have been kicked out of our, our spaces. RJ just told me the other day, he was like, I used to think that pagans were evil. I was like, what the guy who manifested me from candlelight <laughs> that's a true story y'all he actually did a ritual about calling on his divine soulmate with a candle and then i appeared like three days later so when he told me that i was like you thought pagans were evil he was like i was a christian man like come on i was told they were evil and we have to remember right, that um, those who write history will absolutely villainize and tear down anyone that they conquer. So the pagans, the Celtics, um, the Picts, um, the insert name here, I'm like trying to think of who else. I mean, it's been pretty much everyone. The church has pretty much dominated the whole world at this point. Um, there, there is a religious stronghold of Christian or Catholicism across the whole world. Like, if that's not black magic, I don't know what is. Um, again, am I being mean here? <laughs> just, just let me know. Um, so the whole point of this is that we have to become really aware of our internal stories. And we have to rewrite our stories based on what God really wants from us. So first and foremost, the actual space of, I'm and I'm trying to keep myself in time here, but y'all, I just keep talking. Um, the actual, so if I go over, if anyone needs to leave, please don't hesitate to, to leave, but um, uh, I'm going to try to keep myself in here. The actual reason that many people have, like, yearned to go back into God is to discover themselves, to discover their magic. And that's kind of been the, the base of any 
um, religious experience, no matter what, right? Like if we look, sh shamanism is our oldest spiritual or religious type of uh, container, if you will. I don't think that's a great word, but um, shamanism, even though there's no one set of what shamanist, sham shamanism should look like, it exists in each continent in a very similar way. Which means then that shamanism actually extends across the globe as this sacred mystic. Can you hear Silas back there? <laughs> yeah. Um, it exists. He's playing with a rattle and trying to chase the dogs. So, you know, baby things. Uh, shamanism exists as this like language that knows no time or space. So, um, we can kind of see that when it comes to religious religions in general, right? Like all religions have been born of shamanism, actually. Um, and I think I could say that very plainly because shamanism was like the first form of religious experience. So we have uh, just for an example, Siberian shamanism, which is the base foundation for Taoism. Um, and you think about that and you're like, Siberian shamanism? Taoism kind of like was created in China. But of course, we have to think about how the humans moved, right? How people like moved around on this planet. Uh, and then, of course, we have like Native American shamanism here in the U.S., um, which is really just their lifestyle as a whole. We have Celtic shamanism that turned into what I would consider like Catholic mysticism. I don't know if that's like the right word to say it, but if we think about how the rosary has gone from, you know, garlands of flowers to beads, still praying to the mother and you know, Bridget's Cross and all of that stuff. I, I think I would, I could say that Celtic shamanism has probably turned into Catholic mysticism, which is something that's still very dominant, right, in the British Isles. Here in the U.S., we seem to be much more related to Christian mysticism. Anyway, um, but the mystic teachings of Christ are worth exploring because you'll begin to recognize that Christ actually came or Yeshua actually came onto this planet to explain to us that there is no middleman to God. There is no middle person to God and that your spirit, right, in the iconography, you see the, the flame above the head, which is the relationship to Holy Spirit, your spirit is yours alone. Your spirit has its own desires and wisdoms and insights. And so you might be interested in what Mary Magdalene was teaching, or maybe you're interested in what Thomas was teaching. I don't know. But either way, you're not wrong, because your soul has a specific frequency and energetic resonance that it is related to and wants to discover God through. So, Elle, I'm sorry, I'm going to throw you out here. I think about you a lot with the Baba Yuga because um, she's, she terrifies me. Like, that woman is a witch. 
in, in the best way. Like, I, I think that it's so fascinating. You might be laughing. I don't see your face, but um, <laughs> I think about you a lot in this because um, in one way, <laughs> she can be really terrifying like to think like that's my holy mother like to think that that's my grandmother to think that that is who I connect to God through well uh, absolutely I'm gonna read this <laughs> oh yes oh man she would scare me or there's you know devotees of Hecate or maybe I'm saying her name wrong um I mean I was terrified of Sekhmet before I really got to know her uh, she's just like a big giant cat that like cuddles up in my lap sometimes and then other times she's like I have the sword are you ready and I'm like god no but anyway the point is is that we have these different layers of being that exist and certain like the Abrahamic tradition calls them different names right so like in Catholicism they're saints but what is different as a saint than what we like connect to as a deity and you know rhetorical question maybe but um it's like you can have these beings but if you have these beings evil and i know that a lot of the students and clients i've worked with specifically have had to get really comfortable with being an outlier or being um, outside of their religion in my personal opinion religion has been used as like a cult indoctrination and maybe that sounds horrible to say it out loud, but I have to call it what it is. Um, because there's a lot of people that are actually not living by the values, but living by the virtue of, you know, having God on their side or whatever. And they aren't really living, okay, like Catholicism, right? Catholicism is really connected to Christianity more than anything. But then why do they beat children in school? Makes no sense to me. Like, why would you ever hit a child? I don't get that. And again, maybe this is my personal qualm. Maybe this is just the personal rant time for me. I don't know. I hope some of you are getting <laughs> what you need out of this space. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, we have to really like question the things that they have told us, the things that we have accepted as true, right? Because a lot of it has just been based on what they want you to access versus what is available to you. And I don't think that going around and, you know, spouting Bible verses at people for doing the wrong thing is the appropriate action to take when it comes to being a God-led mystic. When it comes to being a mystic that is rooted in God and in the relationship with God, we have to actually embody what we might consider to be the Bible verses, or for me is like the Pista Sophia verses, or, you know, the verses of Mary Magdalene. Like, yes, I can say them to people, but I've definitely like, I've definitely talked about Mary Magdalene on a Christian Twitter, and they've been like, you are a false prophet, and you're going to hell. And I'm like, you consider me the problem? <laughs> okay I appreciate that yeah I'm going to my mother my icy mom okay I've also said that I don't believe in hell and again that's another whole thing anyway the point of it all is that we have to become you know very willing to let these belief systems come up and then deconstruct them which sometimes means that we do lose certain people in our lives or that our parents might look at us a certain way 
RJ's parents are like super Christian and they definitely sometimes think I'm doing witchcraft which I probably am in their like way of living but are you not doing witchcraft when you make a wish on a birthday candle I don't know I think so so it's okay if you do it on your birthday but not when you want to write a petition okay got it cool so <laughs> then they'd be like well I can't do birthday candles anymore okay <laughs> sorry again my own call maybe so um you know we have to be really willing to stand in what we believe and that's what I'm coming through again and again in my work is that I have to be really willing to stand up and be okay with being a heretic, being um, ostracized as someone who's not, you know, God-like. Because of course, if your limitation of God is you only live in these paradigms and you're God, then you have no actual access to God because God is prismatic. If your relationship to God isn't ever unfolding, changing and shifting, then are you actually relating to God? Probably not. And maybe that sounds harsh or confronting to say to certain people, but um, you can't keep looking at the same scriptures and texts for thousands of years and think, that's it. I now know God. They're actually, God is existing in its own right, in its own space every day as it's unfolding, as it is coming up to you. And that homeless person on the street can be God talking to you. You know, that person that like walks past you and is like, wow, you are the radiant light of a thousand suns, which is, would be a wonderful compliment, um, could be God reminding you of your sacred light. You know, I mean, of course, it always is. So we have to get really willing to question the beliefs that we might have blindly agreed to before and become really willing to study and learn about what God means to us, which might mean then that we, you know, explore the Tao Te Ching. Um, RJ, he loves his Taoist stuff. To me, I could not care about the Jade Emperor. No offense. Um, just because I'm not really into them. Like, it's just not my thing. Like, he he loves it. He does his kowtows. He does, you know, his incense burning and he just, he's obsessed. I mean, I should maybe obsessed is not the right word. He's very reverent and devoted. And um, yeah, I, could, I couldn't care less. So, I mean, he probably doesn't care about Sekhmet the way that I do. You know, I like offer my menstrual blood and I, you know, spray her with <laughs> myrrh and all sorts of stuff. And it's cool. We exist in our own ways and we have conversations in that way. So you might begin to look at different things that make more sense to you, like the 42 laws of Ma'at for me, which are really just the declarations of innocence. That's kind of what it is rather than a law. It's more or less like a, a declaration of right living. And if you fuck up, then you just need to make, you know, you it's kind of like confessional, if you will, that you say, okay, Ma'at, I fucked up, but I'm going to try again tomorrow. And she's like, okay, cool wonderful you're good so excuse me i need water mm. ultimately you know we might have to look into different 
different religious texts or spiritual texts that relate to us, like the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And of course, I'm related to ancient Egypt, so I'm a little biased, but um, I still find lots of books in the Bible to be a wonderful, uh, a wonderful balm to my soul. But I also lean really deeply into the, you know, the hidden texts <laughs> or the not okay texts of the Bible. Um, and recently I've been studying under Reverend uh, Dale Allen Hoffman with his Aramaic courses and stuff and like having a lot of fun with that. So that's been really wonderful. Um, have I given you guys stuff of value? <laughs> I'm asking that seriously. <laughs> if you tell me no, I might cry, but I will accept it. <laughs> yes, I agree with that. Thank you. You can really tell me no <laughs> if you need to, but um you know, I don't I don't ever actually believe that the Bible was meant to be taken literal. So, like, there's a really good verse. Again, I think it's in Ephesians. It might be in Corinthians. I might have gotten backwards. Uh, you know, that talks about um, uh, how a husband and wife are su supposed to submit to Christ, basically, in the way that um, the church submits to Christ, which is kind of ironic because Yeshua never really cared to actually have like a temple space. Um, and <clears throat> I'm only bringing this up because like, when I think about that verse, I think a lot about, well, one, they only give you a portion of the verse that doesn't actually like, it like basically gives like the way that a godly man should live in order for his wife or partner to quote unquote submit. But I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's really about this, like I laid myself down, right? More of I'm willing to trust in you the way that this ministry was birthed through Yeshua's teachings. And so I think that really matters because um, there's a lot of people out there that are utilizing the Bible to weaponize patriarchy. And I don't really, I think that that's such a fucked up and inverted way to actually spread the wisdom of the Bible or the wisdom of Yeshua's teachings. Because Yeshua single-handedly wanted the women to return back into God in their sacred way. And Yeshua knew that the women were going to be very important to giving birth to this next age. And I want to pause on there and remind you all, of course, I'm very deeply related to womb wisdom, right? That our ancients before the patriarchy, before the, the mother was divorced from the father, or the goddess was divorced from the god. And when I use the word god, please know that I'm connecting to both mother, father, god. It's just easier for me to use the word god. Um, of course, in this case, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, anyway. Uh our ancients knew how important it was for women to give birth to their dreams and their goals and their desires. 
This is why a lot of our ancient cultures were actually set up around the moons and the bleeds of the women and why many women were, you know, always with each other. So I say this because in now here goes back to my fiction or my truth. I believe that the matriarchy was divorced from the Bible because they could then, you know, force women into. Oh, God, I can't believe I have to say this out loud. They forced women into this breaking point of giving birth to the patriarchy. If you were forced to submit that this, you know, ever-present male God was the only thing, then then that's what the women would keep giving birth to. If we are made in God's image, then we must have a goddess. It makes no other sense. <laughs> if we are birthed in God's image, then we must have um, sacred milk that we drink from the goddess and then we also understand then that our god our male god has a very important role to play as well just as a mother and a father have a role to play for the child i think that the best way to understand and know god is to watch the healthy dynamics of a mother a father and a child (laughs) that might sound really funny but when i was in peru i was told by a shaman that the only way you become a medicine person is by having a child first. If you can take care of your child and your family, you can go on to learning the medicine. Once you figure that out and you become your village healer, you can go on to your regional healer. And then eventually you'll be able to go all the way through the Andes. And to me, that makes the most sense when it comes to relating ourselves to God. So anyway, that's my my end of end of this space um we're right at one hour and 30 minutes but i would still like to close with a meditation if you need to go please go um i mean i don't want you to go but (laughs) you need to of course you're not held hostage here i'm not the patriarchy i'm just kidding (laughs) um yeah so i would love to just end with the meditation and i would love I feel like there's 5,000 things I didn't talk about. Like, I won't even go into them because I'll just start on a rampage again. But um, I just want to open us up to our God frequency and really allow us to let go of any of the religious wounds that might have been perpetrated against our soul in this lifetime or any other lifetimes past. Okay, easy peasy. And I'm really not gonna, I'm really gonna try not to go longer than 15 or 20 minutes. So, because then I'll get a notification from RJ saying, it's dinner time. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Not really, but sort of. I also really care about your time too. (laughs) Okay. So, I wanna invite you to just get comfortable. And I want to invite you to just breathe into the space. And I want to invite you to just let go of anything that might have come up for you in this experience. Letting go of any of this head stuff, the wheels that might be turning. And I want to bring your awareness all the way down into your body down into your root. 
Beautiful. And Kai, if you would like to open up the Akashic space, I would love if you could um, do that for us. going to open the Akashic Records in the Akashic space, utilizing a small prayer. All that is good and all that is light, guiding to the hall where all that is, all that was, and all there will ever be resides within. Bring me there so they, bring me there so we may see the divine light, feel the divine present, and sense the greatest good of humanity. In all that is love, we ask permission to receive. As the space opens up, it's going to illuminate the temples of Mother, Father, God, and the rivers that flow through them. Just really allow the, the cosmic waters to flow through you and connect to you. Allowing the energies to enliven every one of your cells. Inviting you to just breathe into this space. Bringing in that golden white light of divine presence. Pouring from the soul star all the way down into your crown. Letting this golden white light to extend wherever it's necessary. In this Akashic space, I want to invite any religious wounds, any religious belief systems or sets of indoctrination which you might have held in your mind, your body, your spirit, or your soul across all time, all space, all reality, and all dimension really come up through this golden light to be released spontaneously through this Akashic space. You may see visions or insights, words, feelings, etc. Anything that comes up in this space is held safe and sacred in this container of clearing. going to take a quick moment to fan the flames of 
holy fire and holy connection that is at the top of the crown. Allow that to burn just a little bit brighter. And I want to invite you now to just call upon the frequency of God within your heart. Letting God reveal itself to you in its perfect emanation for your consciousness. Allowing God to show you exactly the way that you need to connect at this moment. Maybe feeling the way that God holds your hands or envelops you. Or just recognizing the infinite relationship that exists between you and this omnipresent source. Feeling the truth of the love of the heart of the divine awareness of what God is. And I want to hold you here for a moment, reminding you that the relationship to magic and mysticism is always rooted in God, true mystic and ma mysticism and magic. That working with the elements is working with God working with the crystals and the plants is working with God. Working with the sacred fire and water is working with God. That allowing yourself to become the magician is an important part of understanding your God-given alchemy.
And I want to give you space to give yourself permission to follow the divine intelligence within your heart. To follow the divine inspiration within your heart. Reminding yourself that even the word inspiration is rooted in spirit-led. Allowing God to really remove any experiences of pain within the church or religion. Letting God fill you with the frequencies of your soul knowing. And inviting this deep internal knowing of what your magic is, where your mysticism lies. as you allow yourself to really connect back into your divine presence. And in this Akashic space, I really want to close with a prayer for you to return you back into your divine presence back into your holy God frequency. Divine presence within, living in wholeness, moving in joy and love. I surrender to your will. Bring the radiance of your light, uh, of your life, light into my heart and mind. Merge with me to manifest your divine will upon the earth. Make me a conduit of your infinite knowledge. I set this prayer in your heart. With your permission, all you have to do is say yes. Letting this prayer guide you back into your inner God self. Day in and day out.
just going to close down the Akashic Records. We've seen, we felt, we've heard. With love in our hearts, we thank the divine. Doors now be closed to seal in the light. In your own time, I invite you to come back into your breath, letting your golden white light return back into the soul star chakra, allowing yourself to just to drop your grounding cord from the womb of the earth, bringing yourself into completion as you take a deep breath in through your nose, up into your third eye, down into your throat, and into your two lungs, filling the sacred spiral within your heart. In your own time, in your own space, you can begin to just come back into your body, into the space, taking your time, no rush, and no So if anyone would like to join us deeper on exploring God-led mysticism and sacred space, then I invite you into HAMS, the Healing Alchemists and Akashic Arts Mystery School. It's going to be such a wonderful time to really flesh out your God body, your God self, and your divine frequency. Well, I don't want that, buddy. Thank you. Um, so, of course, I'll drop all those details into our follow-up email. And if you're interested in working with either Kai or I, we're happy to hold space for you. So thank you all for being here today. And I appreciate you all so much. Bye.